Thursday evening, and welcome in to another edition of Brewers Weekly here on WTMJ. It is 18 degrees outside. It is December, but that's okay. We are talking Brewers baseball for the next hour, taking you till 9 o'clock tonight. If you'd like to join the program, you can do so by calling or texting into the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line 414-799-1620. That's 414-799-1620. You can also tweet at me if you would like, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. That's the Twitter handle as we talk all things Brewers baseball for the next hour. Here's what's on tap for the program. We are going to be joined by brand new Brewers hitting coach Andy Haynes. He is going to join us in about seven minutes. So uh, the new hitting coach for the Brewers is going to be what's up with, with us. Excuse me. We're also going to hear from Lane Grindle, Brewers radio broadcaster. We will check in with Lane at about eight thirty-five. News of the last couple days. First off, we knew that the team had non-tender Jonathan Scope, and that relationship was in all likelihood going to be over. It is now officially over today as he signs a free agent contract with the Minnesota Twins. And later on in the program, I want to go through that contract a little bit because I feel like that contract maybe indicates how uninterested the Brewers were in having Jonathan Scope back with the club. When you look at the numbers that he signed at, because his his arbitration number was $10 million. Well, he doesn't sign for $10 million. He actually takes about a million and a half pay cut from last year to next year. And I just, I'll go through those numbers. I find them interesting because he didn't, it's not like he waited out. This wasn't one of those things like we saw last year where, a player waits till spring training, still doesn't have a deal done, and finally has to take pennies on the dollar. He's one of the first second basemen to sign a free agent deal, and he takes a pay cut. And we'll go through those numbers coming up uh, later on in the program. Also want to touch on, and I'll be on tomorrow for Greg from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock during Sports Central, so I will try to get into this today, but I also feel like this conversation warrants a significant amount of time and we'll see whether or not we have the time for it tonight. So I'm already pub- promoting tomorrow's Sports Central program from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock. There's, there's speculation out there. There was a report this past week from The Athletic that Major League Baseball is thinking about banning the shift. And what I'm talking about, when when a third baseman goes over and plays at second base, or when they move everybody around a little bit, where maybe uh, the third baseman or the shortstop are the only players between second and third, and you've got three guys between first and second, there seems to be some momentum towards that being banned. And there's some really simplistic statements being made about this. And by the way, I'm... People get all up in arms about it. I've yeah. If if they ban the shift, it's going to have zero, zero impact on my enjoyment of the game. I if the shift is in baseball or the shift is out of baseball, it it does not change the way I view the game of baseball from a from simply a standpoint of enjoying the game. Doesn't impact anything. So if they ban it, 
like it's kind of silly, but if they ban it, I'm not. It's not going to affect how I watch the game. But what it is going to affect is the actual game, hits that go through, maybe even approach at the plate, things like that. You know, we're in the launch angle revol- uh, revolution right now. A lot of the launch angle stuff has to do with beating the shift, because if you launch the ball and it goes higher than the infielders, it doesn't matter where the infielder is set up, the ball is going to go over their head and it's going to get out to the outfield. So there are I I don't want to go there, there's the I saw it on Twitter where people were like ah don't like the shift learn to go the other way like it's not that simple it's not that basic uh, in today's age of baseball. If you start going the other way and just trying to get base hits, what's more likely? Are you going to score more runs collecting back-to-back-to-back base hits, or are you going to score more runs trying to hit for power? Getting three consecutive hits is hard, and quite honestly, it's unlikely. So if you are a singles team that just wants to have that great approach at the plate and go the other way, guess what? You're not going to score a lot of runs. You just aren't. It's not going to happen. Getting three Little base hits going the other way, having that great approach at the plate. That's at times you're going to score runs doing that, but more often than not, you're not because that's hard. It's not easy to string together hits, and it's easier to score runs trying to put it in the gap, trying to put it over the wall, whatever it might be. But then that results in more strikeouts, and we know that we've had the Brewers striking out a lot, and people get upset about that. In fact, I'm going to ask Andy Haynes about that. He's the new uh, Brewers hitting coach. Launch angle versus strikeouts. Where does he stand kind of on that debate? We'll find out from the hitting coach, Andy Haynes. We'll find out all about him. He joins us next. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly, roll it on here on WTMJ. My name's Matt Pauley, talking all things Brewers baseball. I was uh, I enjoyed hearing about Andy Haynes when he was hired as the hitting coach. If for no other reason, I appreciate folks who work their way up. And you talk about a guy who has worked his way up, coached college ball, summer collegiate ball, independent league baseball, uh, between being a manager and a hitting coach, got into affiliated ball, started at single A, went up, became a coordinator, then got a chance at the big league level as an assistant hitting coach, and now he is a hitting coach with the Brewers. He is Andy Haynes. He joins us right now. Andy, thanks so much for taking some time. How are you doing? I'm good, Matt. Thanks for having me. You bet. What's uh, uh, everything that I just mentioned, like the the trip when you were when you were the manager of the Waterloo Bucks in 2003 and 2004 did you have that belief that 15 years down the road you were going to be a major league hitting coach you know that's that's a great question i i'm not sure i could forecast that in my future i you know i knew i i had a passion for coaching and you know i was i started young I was 23 years old i was coaching so Number one, that tells you what type of player I was <laughs> to start coaching at 23. But, you know, my path is my path, man. And, and I was fortunate to start young. And and I have, uh, you know, in some ways people look at me, I guess in some ways I look still fairly young for for as long as I've been coaching. And I tell them it, it has not happened as fast as they might think. But, um, you know, from a coaching standpoint, I, I have. I've I've coached almost every level, and I've I've studied people and and coaching, and and uh, while a lot of guys were playing and and earning their stripes that way, the big leagues, I was coaching pretty much at every level. 
I was uh, I worked in the Frontier League as a broadcaster. I worked in the Pacific Coast League as a broadcaster. We were actually in the Pacific Coast League at the same time. So w- knowing just kind of those steps that that you've taken to 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 get to to where you're at right now, um, were you able? Was it? Did you always have the eye on hey getting to the major leagues, or were you able to really enjoy and embrace all those different levels that you were at? Yeah, you know, I think it's a little of both. I I think it pro- probably wouldn't be very genuine to say that I didn't have aspirations or dream about, you know, being at the major league level. But, you know, being young and a little naive has some power to it. I, I think I was pretty immersed um, wherever I was. I kind of made some promises to myself about coaching that I just – one thing in coaching I feel like is the, the good ones don't really think about themselves very much. You're kind of immersed in your players and your staff and – um, people around you, and it's kind of a, a to be good at it. The ones I've seen are very selfless. So I just kind of have lived by if I'm around the right people and and put my head down and do the best I can, that you know I, I can live with whatever happens. And I'm very fortunate that you know I have been around some good people that have believed in me and and uh, have continued to get opportunities. You most recently are working as the assistant hitting coach with the Cubs, so obviously you've seen a lot of the Brewers and part of uh, everything that happened this past year. Watching from that other dugout, what was your feeling about the Brewers as a team? Well, they were much different in the second half than they were in the first half. You know, I I thought in the first half what intrigued me more than, than the offense was their pitching. You know, you just saw the arms that were running out of their bullpen, and you saw, man, this this pitching is – it's legitimate. You know, there was just a lot of good arms coming out of the pen, and, and you saw some guys come up from AAA, too, that, you know, saw the depth they had. And then um, I thought initially when I saw Kane and Yellow to the top of the lineup, you know, then you have Braun, Aguilar, and it's pretty hefty, one through four right there to get through. So I, I knew they were better. Um, you didn't really see, you know, the run they were going to come till. So really after the All-Star break, you know, and I mentioned this to Craig Council and David Stearns when I spoke to him, is just once the trade deadline come, you could really see the balance they had offensively. I thought Council could match some hitters up better. Um, you know, and it's just you could really see it coming. And, and then the energy they played with, how connected they were, how much they loved playing together. Um, I had a lot of respect watching Craig manage the game and his staff and, and then the pitching, you know, they just kept getting better as the year went on. So they were, you know, I said I don't think you can ever forecast a run like that in baseball because it was, it was just it was magical. I mean, I think being part of the Cubs, somebody, you know, was pretty hard on them saying, ah, you know, they, they blew it down the stretch. And I said, I think they were 19-11 their last 30 games. Mm-hmm. It's more about the Brewers just went crazy the last 30 to 40 days of the season. So impressive to watch. Um, you know, it's, you can tell it's a great group that loves to play, and you know, I'm I'm really excited to be a part of it. Not only the staff and the players, but even the front office guys I've met with. You you can tell they have some special things going on there. I read something about you where you talked about the the process of getting to know a player and there being trust and just the knowing guys on a personal level kind of leading into your ability to coach them. And I think when people think about a hitting coach, they think of it in a very technical standpoint but you talk about it from kind of a a human standpoint can you can you elaborate on that a bit yeah i think it probably just is my background right i mean i've i've had a lot of time 
coaching, and I think when you start off at some of the levels you mentioned, you, you can make mistakes and get away with them and then learn from them and grow as a coach and kind of form these beliefs you have and, and what can you know help players the most or help teams the most. And, you know, I've been a coach and a manager, and I think it probably is attributed a little bit to my managing background as well. But I think a lot of people have the answers, you know, I mean, as far as hitting goes or coaching, this guy needs to do that. Or, you know, I mean, my parents can watch TV and they can see things, right? I mean, but it's just getting the player to believe in you and, and then getting that message across to him and being able to push the needle a little bit and see that player make it his own and take off is it's rewarding. And that's why we all do this as coaches. And, I just think that doesn't happen without trust and them, you know, having confidence in you. And that takes time. You know, you can't force that. So there's a lot of moving parts to it. I I think coaching is a lot more art than science. It's teaching. And that's something I enjoy a lot is just teaching and coaching. And and the relationship part is what it's all about, right? I mean, you know, it's kind of been talked about a little bit with Christian Yelich, you know, our history, but. I literally saw Christian when he was drafted out of high school. He's 18 years old. So, you know, relationships like that are special, and, and we've been through a lot together. And, and uh, you know, I kind of look forward to, to digging in with these guys that I've seen across the field and kind of forging those relationships, too, as we start. Continuing to chat with Brewers heading coach Andy Haynes. I, I asked this question knowing we could probably do an entire day's worth of conversations on it, but we're living in an age right now in baseball where – uh, launch angle is such a big deal. Launch angle seemingly is leading to a few more strikeouts, but the idea is to sometimes beat the shift, get the ball over the heads of infielders who are shifted to a certain area. I know you like to really dive into the numbers and the analytics and everything. Where do you stand on launch angle and avoiding strikeouts or accepting strikeouts as part of the game to be able to hit for power, things like that? Do you have a kind of a, a quick answer to that very complicated long question? Well, I'll do my best to make it quick. I mean, you get me excited here, man. I can talk about this <laughs> stuff. But I think in general, I mean, to simplify things, it's just about scoring runs. You know, the, those things are trendy and the terms, they're, they're teaching tools. You know, launch angle is a metric, and it's, it's a teaching tool for the players, and it's in front of them. Uh, they see it on TV, and it's it's in their, their data. You know, it's part of their story. So it's certainly something to teach off of, and, you know, I, I've, I've thought about it a lot. I ask people that are a lot smarter than I am about these things and to help me and to learn so I make sure I give the players the correct information. But, you know, pitchers get paid a lot of money to strike guys out and get the ball on the ground. So, you know, those are the most effective pitchers in the big leagues. So offensively, what are we trying to do? We're certainly not trying to hit the ball on the ground unless the situation could dictate it. Um, you know, early in the game, there's a situation where a ground ball gets a big run in. Of course, we'll take that. But overall, the underlying philosophy has to be, you know, of course, we want to do damage. Uh, but I think just balanced offensive players in today's game are what's going to be the, net, the the value. I mean, you're seeing guys with 30 home runs get designated for assignment, yeah. right? I mean, I think I think overall balanced players, how – Pitching staffs and coaching staffs now game plan against hitters. Any weakness you have, or if you're a, I call them one-trick ponies, those guys are are starting to get exposed more and more. So I think the challenge offensively is to be balanced. I think, um, 
you know, Milwaukee or any team I'd be, I'm a part of, I think, you know, the, the team that's going to win is a team that can win in every type of game you're in offensively. There's going to be games where you have to execute and move a runner because runs are in a premium. There's going to be games where runs are being scored. The environment's just conducive to that, and, and your team has to be able to stand in there and score runs. So I'm greedy. I want it all. Um, you know, I don't think there's there's a one-size-fits-all by any means, but but certainly – you know, I think the launch angle and the data, that's not going away. You know, it's not something we want to run from. But in the reality in the big leagues, it's it's about scoring runs and, and that run-scoring culture and environment. And however we can do that, you know, um, I think it's going to be probably different every night throughout the season. Last question for you. There's been some rumblings out there that Major League Baseball might consider rule changes to uh, eliminate or definitely reduce the amount of shifting. You now work for an organization that maybe shifts more than any team in baseball, but you're also a hitting coach, and shifts generally hurt hitters. Where do you stand on this ongoing debate on whether or not the shift should be eliminated? Yeah, I, I, I can tell you as a coach, I, I actually hurt left-handed hitters. I mean, I think for lefties, the shift does. You you can see it's, you know, I've read the numbers, and they say, ah, oh, it's not as detrimental as you think. And But I see lefties, um, the, the shift definitely has changed, you know, some offensive numbers for left-handed hitters. It makes it tough on them. You know, righties is a little different, right? Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, it's probably a better question for Craig Council. He's the manager. I mean, I don't like being told what to do very much. <laughs> so, you know, you're 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 basically dictating, you know, strategy of the game, which which I'm not a fan of. I think naturally things will will probably run its course. It hasn't happened as quickly as Major League Baseball thought. So, you know, I give them I give them credit for being open minded. I'm not sure what's going to happen. Uh, I don't really have have a huge opinion on it. Besides, I think I think most people will tell you the same thing as me. I'd much rather let it naturally run its course and and let teams decide what strategy they want to they use. Andy, this was fun. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Look forward to uh, officially meeting you when we, uh, when we get closer to the season. But uh, really happy to get a few moments with you, and hopefully we can talk again down the line. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Matt. You bet. That is uh, Andy Haynes. He is the new Brewers hitting coach, and we look forward to seeing him uh, do his thing as the new hitting coach uh, as we're not that far away from pitchers and catchers reporting right around the corner. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly continues here on WTMJ. Matt Pauley back with you. Lane Grindle's going to join us in about five minutes. I don't know about you. Sometimes I'm able to be doing an interview and while doing the interview, also being able to really kind of enjoy the interview, if that makes sense. And this has not, I'm just trying to stay out of the way. But having Andy Haynes on just a moment ago was one of those situations for me. I really enjoyed listening to him talk about hitting. And look, I know there's people out there. In fact, there's a really good chance that you are one of these people that just think the Brewers strike out way too often and they have to limit their strikeouts. they got to stop striking out. If they didn't strike out so much, well, it would be all different. Well, to go along with striking out is the ability to hit extra base hits. Again, it goes back to launch angle and... You you're going for you're going for power. You're trying to put it in the gap. You're trying to put it over the wall, and you have a little bit of more of an uppercut swing. When you have more of an uppercut swing, that's going to lead to more strikeouts. 
And while it's really frustrating to see all the strikeouts, and I'm not I'm not running away from that. I, I get why strikeouts are frustrating. What's gonna at the end of the day, what's gonna result in more runs being scored? That's the that's the bottom line question here. I'm trying to bring up Brewers numbers from this past year just to try to make a, a very quick point before we get to uh, before we get to Lane Grindle. So as a team this past year, wait for it. As a team this past year, the Brewers scored, ah, goodness, this isn't, uh, well, the bottom line is if you score more runs but have more strikeouts, isn't that better than scoring less runs but also having less strikeouts? Like, very simplistic thing. Like, I'm not, if I go to you and say, hey, the Brewers are going to score 100 more runs but also strike out 50 more times, at the end of the day, you'll be fine with that because they're scoring more runs. And you score more runs, you win more games. But when you're sitting there watching any given moment of the game and they strike out at a time that you really don't want them to strike out, you throw your hands up in the air and you say, ah, oh, they struck out again. It's, it's, it's part of a philosophy. And people got on Darnell Cole as the last Brewers hitting coach because of the strikeouts. And I... I I don't know if the strikeouts are going to go down a lot. Now, should they go down a little bit? They struck out too much. They did strike out too much. I'm not running away from that. But the launch angle stuff and scoring more runs and hitting for power and hitting for extra base hits and all of that is the way you score runs. And Andy Haynes is someone who's going to dive into the numbers. And I really enjoyed him taking some time with us to talk about uh, the hitting philosophy that he's got as he comes in to become the new hitting coach for the team. All right, Lane Grindle, he joins us next. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly rolling on here on WTMJ. Matt Pauly with you for another 25 minutes. I'll tell you what, the Brewers did something really, really cool today. Uh, Travis Shaw, broadcasters Jeff Levering, Lane Grindle, the Racing Sausages, Bernie Brewer, were all out at, uh, at, at one of our local Myers at uh, Greenfield doing the Shop with a Hero event where uh, local families were able to uh, do some Christmas shopping and the Brewers, uh, along with the uh, along with the USO, able to kind of facilitate the event. As mentioned, Lane Grindle was part of that event. He joins us right now. Hey, Lane, how are you? Matt, it is good to talk with you, buddy. Uh, I'm glad we got the whole alma mater thing figured out now, and <laughs> and we're ready to go. So I'll share this very quickly. Uh, you are a proud graduate of the University of South Dakota. I broadcast Green Bay women's basketball, and we did a trip this past week playing South Dakota State and South Dakota. I confused your alma mater, South Dakota State and South Dakota, and sent out a tweet and felt like a dummy. And what makes it worse is I am a graduate of Kansas State, and my number one pet peeve is when people confuse K-State with KU, and then I did it to you, and I felt horrible. (laughs) Don't feel horrible about it. That happens a lot. I mean, you experience it with Kansas and Kansas State, but... The, the more common thing is my alma mater, South Dakota, they're the Coyotes, and South Dakota State are the Jackrabbits. And, and typically when I say I'm a USD grad, somebody will go, oh, the Jackrabbits, and I'll say, not the Coyotes. Uh, a lot of people get the mascots confused, and I get that. I mean, it happens all the time. But glad you were able to see the great state of South Dakota last weekend. That was great. There was a blizzard, so I, did, I, I didn't see as much of it as I could have because there was snow. 
you saw it in its element then. <laughs> so, um, I saw a lot of days with blizzards on the South Dakota Plains. Your event today, most importantly, I saw some pictures, and I saw Bernie Brewer just rocking a a Brewer's theme. I, I won't say ugly. I'll just say holiday sweater, but you can say ugly if you want. Do you own one of those bad boys? I don't. I need to get one. Um, we were just talking about that at our house the other day, how we don't have a good collection of, uh, you know, holiday themes sweaters that are pretty dated in terms of when you would actually wear them or what you would wear them to. But uh, I, I need one of those. I, I, I know what you're talking about. I saw it today. Bernie was he was great. He was really active. He was jumping around from family to family and making his presence known, helping uh, pick out some of the, the presents for some of the kids. It was, it was a lot of fun tonight. We had a great time. Um, I was a part of this event last year. We had Eric Thames last year at the Meyer in Waukesha. And this year we were in Greenfield. And uh, Jeff Levering, is, as you mentioned, he was out there with us along with Travis Shaw. And, uh, it's just a fun, fun event. It's fun to be able to, to get to know these families a little bit and to spend some time with their kids and, and help make their Christmas maybe a little bit brighter as a result of this night. Uh, it's pretty neat. Yeah, it was, it's awesome because so the families are selected by uh, USO Wisconsin, and USO is just such a fantastic organization. Travis Shaw was there, local law enforcement there, to go through the shopping spree with these kids. And then to make it even better, these kids get a gift certificate to buy a toy for a kid that's at Children's Hospital. Yeah. So, I mean, you talk about paying it forward. There was a lot of good stuff going on today. That's right. I think it, 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 there were two great things. One, you get a nice little budget to, to take these kids out and shop, and, and um, you know, they can get as big a present as they want. They can use the whole budget on one thing, or they can use it on multiple things. And uh, last year, my kid that I had that I took around, he basically bought one thing. Um, and this year, I had uh, Marley, who was five. She was great. And uh, she she had a whole, you know, a, a whole a basket full of stuff by the time we were all all said and done. The the entire cart was full. And I I actually brought my uh, 10-year-old and my 8-year-old with me tonight because I wanted them to see this and I wanted them to be a part of it um, because it's it's a real great lesson of of what this season's really truly about. And I think it's a great thing for kids to see this. And so my kids helped uh, Marley uh, pick out her toys and her presents and her things and uh, they just had a blast with it. And, and we were walking out of there, and, and my 10-year-old Josie said, this is what Christmas really is about, isn't it, Dad? And I said, it really is, and I'm glad you guys were able to be a part of it. So, um, And that part of it you just mentioned, too, for the kids that are getting these benefits, they also understand, hey, we're going to help somebody else out, and they, they buy those presents um, and donate them to the Children's Hospital as well. And so some some kid at Children's Hospital is going to have a better day as a result of this, too. So it's really cool. And um, you know, I, I'm a guy that my oldest, she spent quite a bit of time at, at Children's Hospital back in Nebraska before we moved here. And so I know how important those toys are there yeah. and how important it is to have those things to kind of uh, bide the time, so to speak, uh, when, when you're spending a lot of time in the hospital. So uh, it just everything really comes uh, comes into play here. And it, it is, it is. It's just a really special event. And, and it's one of those that I'm going to make sure I'm a part of it every year. My wife works at Children's Hospital, and I just... She comes home sometimes just drained from yeah. the things that she has to see, and it's I'm I'm so proud of my wife because 
I know how much it affects her, but she she goes there and she's she's there to try to be a light for these children, and that's what yeah. you, the, the kids you were dealing with today. You got to go buy a toy for a kid at Children's Hospital. They were being a light for another child. No doubt about it, and, and it's needed. I mean, um, like you said, you you go into one of those hospitals and, and you see the children, and um, you know we've all seen Iowa with the wave and what they do mm-hmm. with, with the hospital outside of Kinnick Stadium in Iowa City, but. Um, it, it is. I mean, my, my oldest has celiac disease, so she didn't have anything near as serious as what a lot of children at Children's Hospital have. But um, she spent some time there when we were getting it diagnosed when she was around the age of five. And, and, and we would sit in the lobby and we would see these other families that uh, were going through things much more serious than we were. And your heart goes out to them. And you, you realize that they, they steal these little moments of happiness while they're going through these difficult times and every little moment like that they can steal it warms your heart because um they're going through a lot all right a baseball question before we get you out of here Mm -hmm. do the brewers come home from the winter meetings with a second baseman that's a great question i i I really don't know the answer to that i think i would be totally guessing i mean i think they're going to make a move for a second baseman before this off season's over um i think that the market really favors them in that regard too uh you know, how long of a deal would they be willing to go with a second baseman? I think that's that's an interesting question. They, they may just go on a one-year deal. It just, it just depends who, who it is that they feel fits their profile. Um, do they want a right-handed hitting second baseman? I mean, that's a question that I have as well. But, man, there's a ton of names out there. I mean, whether it's uh, Daniel Murphy or Brian Dozier or Jed Lowry, I mean, just keep going down the list. There's Ian Kinsler. There's a lot of guys that are veteran types that are going to be available for the Brewers. And, and I would guess some of that went into the consideration on the decision on Jonathan Scope. I know he didn't play well over the two months, and $10 million probably is a, a loftier price tag than maybe what they'll have to, to put down at least in one year, at least in year one, of a deal with a, kind of a saturated market in, in some ways at the second base position. So, um, it's going to be fascinating. Um, we know that the Brewers are, are, when they decide that there's a deal that's going to benefit the club, they're aggressive. Um, but they're also very, uh, they're very prudent about how they go about those things. Um, so I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Uh, this off season has already been more dramatic, I would say, than last year's was. Certainly to this point in the year. I mean, the winter meetings didn't have a ton of action yeah. last year at them. And the pre-winter meetings this year have been kind of bonkers in a lot of ways. There's been some big names moving. NL East is loading up. And obviously the news yesterday with the Cardinals makes the NL Central look like one of the stronger divisions in baseball now. So it's going to be fun. Buckle up. Yeah, Goldschmidt kills the Brewers, kills the Cubs. That's a that's a game-changer for St. Louis. He's a big-time player. Uh, he is a big-time player, and that changes that lineup uh, significantly. And, I mean, if, if they get second-half Matt Carpenter and if they get Mar- the Marcelo Zuna they thought they were trading for, that that's a much different offense. And if they get anything out of Dexter Fowler, yeah, that's a much different offense than, than what they were um, over the first half of the season last year and at times in September, too. Lane, great stuff. Appreciate the time, as always. Thank you for being part of that event earlier today with the Brewers. So cool uh, what was going on. And I'm sure we will uh, continue to talk as the offseason moves along. Hey, Matt, appreciate it. Thanks so much, buddy. You bet. There's Lane Grendel joining us here on Brewers Weekly. Let's take a break. We'll get back. Uh, the Jonathan Scope deal today. 
Uh, he signs with the Twins, and when you look at the numbers, uh, there's some things that I really notice out of it, and I think it does impact the Brewers in a way as we start to look at the second base market. We'll go through that coming up in just a moment. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly continues here on WTMJ. My name is Matt Pauley. So Jonathan Scope gets non-tendered by the Brewers. That wasn't a huge shocker. If they would have tendered him a contract, at the, they either would have come to a deal or they would have gone to arbitration. His arbitration projection was at $10 million. Brewers payroll this upcoming season will probably be somewhere between 100 and $110 million when the season gets started, giving... Eight to ten percent of that total uh, roster uh, payroll to Jonathan Scope probably didn't make sense, especially when you've got a second base market that is just absolutely flooded right now. It is a buyer's market for second basemen. So Jonathan Scope signs a deal today with the Minnesota Twins, guaranteed seven and a half million dollars. He can gain another half million dollars or so in various. You know, if he wins the Comeback Player of the Year award, he gets $50,000. If he is the World Series MVP for the Twins next year, yep, that's going to happen. Uh, he gets $100,000, things like that. So he's got some incentive clauses in there. Here's my, here's my thought on Jonathan Scope getting $7.5 million from the Twins. So his arbitration projection was $10 million. So he's minus $2.5 million off the arbitration projection. He agrees to this deal with the Twins pretty early in free agency. This is a pre-winter meeting signing. Generally, if I were to tell you, hey, there was a guy who made $8.5 million last year and his arbitration projection was $10 million and he signed a deal for $7.5 million, when do you think he signed his contract? I would tell you, spring training already underway, that that was a last-minute deal because of how much less money they're taking. And this isn't a last-minute deal. This is early on in free agency. So I, I do find it really interesting that he signed for so little money so early on. I would feel like this is something that he would just deal with later in free agency if there wasn't a whole lot of interest there. What else this tells me? is not only did the Brewers not value him as a $10 million player, they didn't value him as a $7.5 million player because he is signing this deal right now, just a couple weeks after. Now, I guess there's always the thought that maybe he could have uh, wanted to move on from the Brewers because of the way things went. But that being said, I think... If he signs a $7.5 million deal with the Twins, he probably would have signed for $7.5 million with the Brewers before they had to make a tender, non-tender decision. So I just I think there's a lot going on here with him signing the $7.5 million deal. And I think it also says a lot about the market scope and his, uh, and his agency probably smart enough to see that there's like 9 million second basemen out there. And the sooner you sign, the more money you're going to get because... You, all of a sudden there's going to be less jobs available. There's so many second basemen available who are starting caliber Major League Baseball second basemen. And good for the Twins signing them. I don't expect the Brewers to even spend $7.5 million on a second baseman. 
they're probably going to be able to go spend four or five million dollars and be in pretty good shape in terms of getting somebody who can man second base. And don't forget the the other side thing there is the a possible one year deal. I would expect a one year deal for a second baseman to be the stopgap leading into Keston Hira who you would think is going to be the long-term second baseman for the Brewers. Brewers fans, are you listening to me? Hopefully you are, because now is your chance to qualify for a pair of 2019 Brewers four-pack tickets. And get this, a Brewers blanket. It is 18 degrees outside. A Brewers blanket sounds good. One random winner is going to be selected on Monday, December 10th, so you can keep listening all this week for your chance to qualify. To learn more about the Brewers' four-pack ticket options, visit brewers.com slash four-packs. We will get someone qualified. You're just getting qualified. You're not winning it. You're qualified to win it. Uh, four-pack, let's just do caller number four because I'm not feeling creative. Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line 414-799-1620. That is 414-799-1620. We'll wrap up this week's edition of Brewers Weekly. We'll do that next here on WTMJ. Starting to wrap up this edition of Brewers Weekly here on WTMJ. My name is Matt Pauley. Love talking Brewers baseball before we know it. The on-deck event is right around the corner. Pitchers and catchers report after that. Spring training games get rolling after that. And before we know it, going to be playing games that matter at Miller Park. Mike in Colorado. Now, if you did not hear earlier in the show, I had a conversation with new Brewers hitting coach Andy Haynes. That interview will be available on the Brewers Extra Innings podcast page, available at WTMJ.com. That will be posted here after the show gets over. But uh, Mike in Colorado commenting on that conversation. Andy sounded excellent, young, enthusiastic, and his coaching teaching background might be a better influence than some ex-Major League Baseball player. I think Andy Haynes is going to do a really good job. Again, I am, man, I... I love guys who grind. I love guys who work hard, who slowly move up the system as they, you know, make stops at, at every different level. And Andy Haynes is a guy who, again, coached college baseball, summer collegiate baseball, independent baseball, started at the lowest levels of affiliated baseball at single A. That's when he first uh, managed Christian Yelich in the minor leagues and worked his way up. And I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to do uh, with the hitters and just his impact and his uh, view on the team and what it's going to be able to do. So appreciate the text and appreciate you listening in, Mike. That's going to do it for the program. Man, that hour went fast. Thank you to Andy Haynes for joining us. Thank you to Lane Grindle for joining us. Stay warm. It's cold outside. We will talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Weekly right here on WTMJ.